Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The words of the Lord. Good morning. It is good to be with you again today after... Uh, Having some time away, we had a great time in a much more tropical climate, and we love here, but the gray we could be uh, happy to see go away soon. I'm sure you feel the same way. Well, uh, before we look at this passage further, which is a passage that is so worth looking at, uh, would you please join with me in prayer ahead of time? Father, uh, your word tells us that the person that you look to is the one who trembles at your word. And so as we begin to consider together uh, this famous section of your word, the Sermon on the Mount, as we seek to listen to Jesus as he preaches, we ask that you would give us a humble heart that trembles at your word, that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us because your words are life. And you would help me to speak in such a way that together we might hear you and be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, I read an article that stuck with me. And the argument of the article was that success has less to do with natural giftedness and more to do with persistence in change. It used as an example, and you'll see why this stuck with me, Tom Brady. Sorry, I know I'm a fanboy, but it was an interesting argument. It was saying, if you look at the draft, when Tom Brady was drafted, this was, you know, 15 years ago, he went way back at the very end, like the sixth round, and there are a lot of more naturally gifted quarterbacks who were drafted way before them. But they never got better, and so they are out a couple seasons later. Whereas he, every year, kept on growing and growing and changing and changing and become more and more what he wanted, and he continues today, and that's what makes him such an excellent quarterback. And the argument of the article is that's actually the way that life usually works. You have some people who are naturally gifted, but unless they keep growing, unless they keep seeking to change, they will never become the person that they really want to be. I thought that was a, a hopeful idea. You don't have to have everything as long as you continue to pursue change. Now, there's something about that that sounds very right, and even something that kind of fits with how we view the Christian life. 
theologian John Calvin says that renewal is not something that happens in a day or a month or a year, but over the course of a lifetime through daily repenting, that is, daily seeking to change. And that principle is something that really is undergirding who we are as a church. As you've probably heard if you've been with us for any length of time, our, our commitment, our focus is to experience and extend the transforming presence of Jesus. And the idea of transforming is saying we are wanting to change. That we're not satisfied with who we are yet because we realize through our sin we are not yet what we should be. And so we want to be transformed. That is our commitment. And with that as our focus, our desire to grow, to constantly change and more and more to become the person that God has called us to be, there seems to be no better place for us to go than the Sermon on the Mount. This famous passage in Matthew, this first sermon Matthew records of Jesus is explosive. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, you have in the Sermon on the Mount the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is speaking about his kingdom, the, the, the people he is calling to himself, a new people, and he's calling us to something different, a new way of relating to each other, a new way of relating to God, a new way of being who we are meant to be, and it is powerful. It's also, we should acknowledge, confusing. If you're familiar with the, Lord, the Sermon on the Mount at all, you'll know that it seems like it sometimes Jesus speaks in riddles. Blessed are those who mourn. Now think about that. Or later on, we'll see Jesus say, it is, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Or be perfect even as your father is perfect. Again and again, as we're hearing these words that confront us, that challenge us, we find ourselves saying, what does this mean? And, and I think that's actually the intent. Jesus is wanting us to think and ponder and consider because as we do, these words become more and more a part of us and they explode within us, changing us. So that's my goal for us. That's our goal, I hope, for the next two months as we are considering this explosive, transforming set of verses that Jesus preaches that we would so hear and so internalize that we would be changed by them. Now what I'd like to do this morning is not to try to kind of somehow dispel all the confusion. That's not going to ever happen, but it certainly is not going to happen in one sermon. But it's more, my goal is to pull back and to say, what is Jesus doing with this sermon? Every time someone speaks, there's some sort of goal behind it. What is Jesus' goal? What is he seeking to accomplish in us, his hearers? Because if we can understand that, then we also know what is expected of us. Here's my best attempt at a summary of what Jesus is doing here. What we see here is our King, Jesus, leading us into the blessings of righteousness. Our King is authoritatively leading us 
into the blessings of righteousness. Let me first think about this first part, that our king is authoritatively leading us. The first thing we need to do when we look at the sermon is not just consider the words, but consider the person who is speaking it. Because the Gospel of Matthew is ultimately not just about how we're supposed to live. The Gospel of Matthew is first and foremost about Jesus. The goal of every verse in Matthew is to help us to see Jesus more clearly. And that's no less true when we come into his sermon. We are supposed to look and see Jesus as the one who is preaching this. And if we look carefully, we do see something very important about Jesus. We see that Jesus is one who has authority. You'll notice that the passage begins with Jesus going to the top of a mountain, which many think might be an allusion to Moses, that Jesus is positioning himself as the new Moses. And then he sits down. Sitting down was not because he was tired. At that time, it was a symbol of authority, is what, what, what teachers would do. At the very end of the sermon, in case we miss how much he is speaking with authority, Matthew records what happens. It says, when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. As we consider this sermon, we see Jesus is one who has authority. Now, what do we even mean by authority? If we were to try to define authority, I think we would say that there's kind of two components to authority. It, it involves a deep knowledge and it involves power. Authority always has some combination of those two. So, for example, sometimes we'll speak of someone as being the leading authority on a certain issue. Maybe the leading authority on the economy of Botswana, the leading authority of, of honeybees. And that means whatever they say about that issue has weight. It needs to be listened to. It's authoritative knowledge. And as we go through this sermon, we see Jesus filled with that authority of knowledge. Again and again, after we get through this first section, when Jesus starts speaking about different aspects of how to live, he begins, you have heard it said, this is how you should be. And then again and again, he says, but I say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Imagine if I were to do something like that. You've you've heard it said that angels are this way, but I say to you. You've heard that you don't need to dress up for church, but I say to you, you've heard it said that Christians can be Yankees fans. See, if I were to keep on saying, but I say to you, you would be going, who does this person think he is and why does he think it's so important for me to hear his opinion? And you would be right. But when Jesus says, but I say to you, it means everything. Because Jesus knows He he knows you. He knows this world. He was the one who formed this world. He knows God, the Father, unlike any other, because he is God, the Son. He is the expert of experts. So when he speaks, every word has weight. It has authority. Of course, authority is not just about knowledge, it's also about power. If if you see something suspicious, you're supposed to report it to the authorities, and that means the police who have the power to do something about it. Or, Or the reason that the President of the United States, his words matter, is because he speaks as one who has power. And in this sermon, we see that also about Jesus, that Jesus is one who has power. At the near the very end of this sermon, and what would have been inevitably shocking to listeners, 
He speaks of who will or won't be in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And he says he ultimately will be the one who decides. Some he will cast out, some he will welcome in. He is the final judge, the final arbiter. He has authority. Sometimes we ask the question, what do we think about Jesus? And that's a, that's a good question to ask. But it's not the main question that we should be asking. The main question is, what does Jesus think about us? Because he is the one who has been given all power. So as we're listening to the sermon, that's the first thing we should be seeing, that the one who is speaking has authority. He knows all. He has power over all. What becomes clear is that this is not only a teacher teaching. The one who is sitting down as he speaks is the king who is ruling. He is commanding his kingdom. He is calling us, if you want to join me, if you want to be part of this kingdom, this is what you need to obey. And when we're talking about authority, we're also saying inevitably that that demands a response. Let me ask, is that how you think of Jesus? Not not only as a savior, but also as an authoritative king. See, we need to have this vision of Jesus if we want to change. Sometimes we speak of change happening as we come to know just how deeply Jesus loves us. That frees us to want to serve him, and that is exactly right. But change also happens as we come to see that Jesus has authority. That his words have weight. That he is our king, and we are his subjects who he deserves to have obey him. In Isaiah, it says, this is the one to whom I look, the one who trembles at my word. Do you tremble at Jesus' word? Because he is the one who speaks with authority, and we will change as we hear it in that fashion. So we first see in this sermon that we have our King Jesus authoritatively leading. And so as we come listening, trembling, seeking to hear what our king says, we ask, what is it that he wants of us? And he announces his intention with the very first word that he says. He says, blessed. And he says it again, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again and again, he uses the word blessed. And these first 11 verses are kind of the gateway into the rest of his sermon. They are telling us what he is seeking to do. And if we listen carefully, it becomes clear what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to lead us into blessing. He says these words to bless you. And that word blessing doesn't have much of an emotional impact for many of us, I suspect. It's because it's such a churchy word. I mean, I think it would be rare for you if you're talking with your next door neighbor who is an unchurched person and, he, and you ask him how work is going. I don't think you expect him to say, you know, my company is just really blessing me. That's, that's not language that we use when we're just speaking about normal life. 
That's why some translations, realizing how kind of disconnected we are from the word blessed, try different words. Oftentimes you see happy. Happy is the one who mourns. Happy is the poor in spirit. But that's it's not quite right either because happy is talking more about a mood and that's not really what Jesus is speaking of here. This idea that is trans- translated as blessed is, is the idea of things going well for you. It's speaking of living a good life. Maybe this will capture it. Usually at the end of the day, you're talking with a family member, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent or a kid, and they ask, so how was your day? And oftentimes their answer is just kind of, oh, it's fine. But occasionally we're able to say meaningfully, I had a really good day. You know, maybe it's because just the weather was perfect, or, or we felt like we worked well, or we just had a really good time with friends. Whatever it was, that that state of being where you can say, I had a really good day. That's what it means to be blessed. That's what Jesus is speaking about, and that is what Jesus is pursuing for us. When he speaks, he is wanting to lead you and I into blessedness. And not just for one day where I had a good day, but for an entire life. That is what this sermon is designed to do. Now, to be clear, this is not a quick fix kind of sermon where tomorrow everything is happy. I mean, if we're listening carefully, we see that he's speaking about the way towards blessedness involves mourning. It involves poverty of spirit. It involves waiting and longing. But Jesus is leading us through that to blessedness. And in case this word still doesn't have meaning, notice this is not just talking about some spiritual feeling. What Jesus wants for us is full-orbed, robust blessing. He, he's wanting the blessing of belonging. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is wanting us to belong to a people, to belong to each other, to belong to God, to belong. There's the blessing of emotional fullness. They will be comforted. They will be satisfied. Isn't that what we long for? There's the blessing of prosperity. They shall inherit the earth. We we think that Jesus only has spiritual things in mind, but this is a very physical, tangible thing. This world is given in blessing. It's a blessing of status and stature. We, we long to be glorious. We long to be respected. Well, he says, they will be called sons of God, which is a picture of glory. It's a blessing of beauty and of joy, for they will see God, which is the most joyous moment we will ever have. I'm dwelling on this because it's important for us to understand how good this sermon is, how good Jesus is. Because when we go through these different parts of the Sermon on the Mount, we will be confronted, we will feel overwhelmed, we will find moments where we feel guilty, and all of those things actually are part of what the sermon is designed to do, but we need to realize that this is not someone coming at us with a knife. This is a loving surgeon coming at us with a scalpel, seeking to bless us, seeking to lead us into the life that we long for. It is a change that we want. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see our king authoritatively 
leading us into blessing. And the blessing he is leading us into finally, and this is my third point, is he's leading us into the blessing of righteousness. If you look through these, what's called the Beatitudes, these blesseds, you'll see there's one thing that's repeated. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in verse 4. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. If we were to continue on a little further in our passage, we would see Jesus speaking about, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And, And many commentators are saying, as Jesus is laying out his blueprint for what the kingdom of heaven looks like, he is coming again and again to righteousness. That righteousness really is what this is about. And so he is calling us into a blessing that is found in righteousness. Now, when you hear that word righteousness, let me ask, what do you think of? I'll tell you what I think of. I think of, maybe this is an example of it, I think of Sam the Eagle. You're looking at me with blank stares because I don't think any of you know who Sam the Eagle is. You have to be a Muppet Show fan. Do you remember in the Muppet Show, there's this, this eagle who always speaks like this. Okay, well, if you haven't, I looked it up in the Wikipedia page so that you could have a summary of Sam the Eagle. It says, Sam the Eagle is an American eagle who feels his species and role as national symbol have placed certain responsibilities upon his shoulders. He has taken it upon himself to promote and protect wholesome American morals and values. And he works behind the scenes of The Muppet Show as self-appointed censor and advocate of cultural educational acts. Sam is appalled by the nonsense that passes for entertainment on this series, and he does his best to keep things in check, even though his pleas for an end to madness are usually ignored. Let me ask you, isn't that what we think of when we think of the word righteousness? We think of people who have starched their shirts and the wrinkles are always gone, people who never run inside the buildings, people who frequently are calling TV shows and radio shows to speak of how things need to be more wholesome, people who regularly are telling you that's not funny. Isn't that the image that we have when we think of righteousness? And so when we hear about the blessings of righteousness, it seems foreign. When we, when we think of Jesus calling us to change, to move us into righteousness, if we're honest, we're saying, do I really even want that? Of course, the problem is we don't really understand what righteousness is. In fact, as we look through the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks, we'll see that everything Jesus is saying is seeking to change our view of righteousness. Again and again, when he says, you have heard it said, he basically is saying, let me describe this Sam the Eagle version of righteousness. Now, I tell you, it's not like that at all. Jesus is completely disinterested in this externally oriented, rule-following Sam Eagle version of righteousness. He wants a righteousness that is beautiful. A righteousness that is far deeper, that is involved, and it's about integrity. It's about harmony. We're going to be spending a lot of time thinking about this next week, but I want just to kind of give a picture for what I mean. Do you notice as he is giving this beatitude, this is a picture of righteousness. And, And notice what is being described. It's a righteousness of being poor in spirit, that is, humble before God. 
a righteousness of mourning as we aren't satisfied because we long for this world to be the way that it was meant to be and the way that we were meant to be. A righteousness of meekness, of mercy, of peace, purity of heart. And we could go on beyond our passage. Jesus speaks later on of a righteousness of not harboring bitterness or anger, of being transparently honest with our words, of being wholehearted with our pursuit of what is good, of being altogether unshowy about our faith in God. This righteousness is not about just looking good. It's about what is truly good. In one place, Jesus says these words, and I've already quoted them, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word perfect is not talking about not having any faults on the outside and looking right. The word could just as easily be translated complete, mature, whole. And that's what Jesus is pursuing for us, to being wholly integrated so that there is a beauty of spirit that changes everything about who we are. When I think of this kind of righteousness, I don't think of Sam the Eagle. I think of a man that I knew named Junior. Junior is a person I met about 20 years ago in college church. He had Down syndrome, and he was known amongst everyone in the church as an evangelist. He would always speak about Jesus with his coworkers, with his friends. And I remember when I first met Junior, after we had maybe said three things, he said, do you want to know what my favorite verse is? 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you've been called because Christ died for us, leaving us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. And when he was speaking, everything about him lit up. He was shaking because every fiber in his being believed the reality of what he spoke. He was fully integrated so that every part was together in this. This was the beauty of righteousness. And it's beautiful not just as an individual, it's even more beautiful when we see it transform a community. When we see that integrity, not just one person, but a harmony of people working together. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe it's a missions trip or some other project where everyone seems to kind of lose their egos by the wayside and, and lose pettiness and are so focused on what is important in that moment that you feel connected with each other, you feel real, you feel whole. That, that's a picture of righteousness. When Jesus is speaking of the kingdom of heaven being about righteousness, that, that is what he is pursuing for us. And it's beautiful. That's why he can speak in the following verses about the salt and the light of the earth. When you see that, it changes people. So this is what Jesus, our King, is authoritatively calling us to. He's calling us into blessing. He's calling us into this beautiful, integrated righteousness. And let me just say one more thing about how when Jesus calls, his words are different from anyone else's. I mean, when we speak, we can just direct. But when Jesus speaks... He renews. Now, when the world was created, God simply said, let there be light, and his word is so powerful that light sprang into being. 
When Jesus spoke, when he, for example, came to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out, his words were so powerful that they actually created life in a dead body and brought Lazarus alive. And in the same way, when Jesus speaks to us, his words don't just command us, they create in us something different. If we hear, if we listen, if we tremble at his word, He's not just saying, now you try harder. He's saying, if you listen, I will change you. I will make you into the righteous people that you were created to be. The question is, is that what we want? See, here's what my goal is for us. My goal is that together we would tremble at the word of Christ. That together we would see that Jesus is for us and that we would welcome him as he seeks to bless us. That together we would long and hunger and thirst for this righteousness and allow God to do his work in us. Because what needs to happen is these words need to go deep within and explode in us like dynamite and, and renew us and change us even as they destroy us. But let me say, that takes attention. That takes work on our part. I know this is crazy time, isn't it? April and May, it's near the end of the school year and lots of things are happening and and there's business deadlines and there's summer things to plan for, but I would like to invite you to join me in dwelling carefully, thoughtfully, attentively before this Sermon on the Mount. Consider how you might bring it into your lives during the week and not just on Sundays. Maybe as, as a family, you can look at different parts of it in different days for family devotions. Or, or maybe you personally read it or even try to memorize some of it. Because this word has the power to transform us. And don't we want to be changed? Don't we want to be made righteous and to experience the blessing as we submit to our King? Before us, we have this table, and in this table, we see that Jesus is so committed to transforming us that he gave himself to us for that purpose. And so now, as we turn to the table, let us prepare our hearts in prayer to receive this blessing from him. Father, as we just begin to think of your son's Sermon on the Mount, we ask for the next couple of months, that this would occupy our attention, not just in our minds, but our hearts, that we would draw near to you, that we would be challenged by you, that at times we would be undone by you so that we might be renewed and made into the people we were created to be, for we do want to change. Father, even now, as as we come to this table and as we are reminded again of how your son gave himself for us, that we might be forgiven and that we might be renewed. We ask as we eat this bread and we drink this cup that our hearts would be nourished by Christ Jesus and we would be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.